Last week, we started our message series for Christmas, and it's called An Impossible Christmas. Last week, we covered the promise, the prophetic words that were given to confirm the Messiah and how he would come. And we learned last week that Jesus not only completed a couple, not just a few, that he finished them all. He fulfilled every single prophecy that was spoken about him. And those prophecies, statistically, a human being shouldn't be able to fulfill even more than eight. And that seems impossible. And there are over 55 prophetic words that Jesus fulfilled in the Old Testament and throughout the New Testament. Isn't that cool? I just thought that was mind-blowing and just so exciting because, you know, there's a lot of of confusion sometimes of how that did was this real did Jesus really come did he really complete it all and he did and there's proof so not only are there old testament prophecies but you can look ahead in the new testament and you can see their fulfillment and i love that so much so one of the verses we chose and today we are call, calling this message an impossible christmas the choice last week was the promise this week it's the choice We have the choice to partner with the impossible or let it pass us by. We have the choice to partner with the impossible or let it pass us by. Not one promise from God is empty of power, for nothing is impossible with God. This is slowly becoming, or quickly becoming, my favorite verse in the Bible. This is when the angel appears to Mary, and and he says this verse, for nothing is impossible with God. For do we take him at his word? This is his word through the angel to Mary about our Savior who went to the cross and fulfilled every promise, for nothing is impossible with God. And then my other favorite is never doubt God's mighty power to work in you and accomplish all this. He will achieve infinitely more than your greatest request, your unbelievable dream, and exceed your wildest imagination. He will outdo them all, for his miraculous power constantly energizes you. He will do immeasurably more than you can ask, think, or imagine. That's, what the, that's what's on the front of the cup. Just another plug for the cup. <laughs> but I love that. I, I said, let's put immeasurably more because who doesn't want immeasurably more coffee and who doesn't want immeasurably more of God's promises fulfilled in their life, right? Amen. It just fit. It just perfect. Oh, man. I'm not funny. I know. It's okay. <laughs> But I just love, I love that the Lord has promised us immeasurably more abundance. This is his promise. It is our choice to agree with it or not. And that is crazy to think, but we have a choice in this matter. And why wouldn't we choose that? But to affirm in our hearts that he keeps his word, he keeps his promises, he fulfills every dot, every line, every part, he will do the same for you in your life, in your days, every single one of them. Immeasurably more, more than your wildest imagination. Confidence in him is where we need to step into rather than doubt in ourselves. 
Because really, we can doubt ourselves out of believing his promises. And it's not that he won't fulfill them. It's that we can't accomplish them through him. He just asks us to step into it and let him do the work. Like the crock pot analogy last week, you put the ingredients in the pot and you leave it and it cooks all day and it smells really good. That's what God is asking. Just get in the pot. Not literally, but step into the promise. Step into the space where it says, I know this can't happen through me. I know this is impossible in my ability, but I'm going to step in with you in the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to keep in step with the Spirit, and I'm going to see the miraculous accomplished. I'm going to see the impossible possible in the name of Jesus. So the choice to partner with the prophecy is ours. We have a choice to partner with God's word and things he speaks over us or not. So we want to look at more prophecies. We, we just were really digging into this and love it. We want to look at the prophecy that was spoken about Mary. And we're calling this point Mary's choice. You see, everyone that was a part of the Christmas story had a choice to participate, to agree with, to believe the promise or not. Every person involved in the Christmas story that we read every single year had a choice to believe that God would keep his word. And it's deep because these believers the in the word of God were Jewish believers that knew that he had said it and believed what he had said and passed it down from generation to generation to generation to generation, even through 400 years of silence. Even through the silence, they kept on telling the stories. They kept on passing down from generation to generation God's promises. Amen? Even in the silence, you stay steady. You stay steadfast, and you declare the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. So Mary herself, there was a prophecy in Isaiah 7:14. The Lord himself will give you a sign Behold, the virgin will conceive and will give birth to a son and will name him God among us, Emmanuel. Luke 128 through 38 is where we're going to go next, and we will see the fulfillment of that prophecy. She was prophesied to be a virgin, and here's the fulfillment. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Grace to you, young woman, for the Lord is with you, and so you are anointed with great favor. Mary was deeply troubled over the words of the angel and bewildered over what this may mean for her. But the angel reassured her, do not yield to fear, Mary, for the Lord has found delight in you and has chosen you with a wonderful gift. You will become pregnant with a baby boy and you are to name him Jesus. He will be supreme and will be known as the son of the highest. And the Lord God will enthrone him as king on his ancestor David's throne. He will reign as king of Israel forever and his reign will have no limit. Mary said, but how can this happen? I am still a virgin. Gabriel answered, the spirit of holiness will fall upon you. And almighty God will spread his shadow of power over you in a cloud of glory. This is why the child born to you will be holy, and he will be called the Son of God. What's more, your aged aunt, Elizabeth, has also become pregnant with a son. I love that part. The barren one, quote unquote, is now in her sixth month. 
She was labeled the barren one. When you get that label, it seems pretty impossible that you're going to conceive, but not with our God. Amen? Elizabeth was pregnant. Not one promise. Ha ha, my favorite. Not one promise from God is empty of power for nothing is impossible with God. Hallelujah. Do you feel the power in that? The angel knew she had fear and doubt and concern. And he came in and he said, if Elizabeth can have a baby, so can you. He gave her something to stand on. He testified to her. And she stood on his promise. So then Mary responds, and this is my favorite. Mary responded saying, this is amazing. I will be a mother for the Lord. As his servant, I accept whatever he has for me. May everything you have told me come to pass. And the angel left her. There is peace in obedience. When the Lord says, Danielle, this is what I want you to do, and you obey, there's peace. Mary, this is what I'm calling you to do, and you walk in obedience, peace immediately floods. Amen? Have you experienced that? When we walk in obedience to the Holy Spirit's voice, peace inevitably ensues us, surrounds us, covers us, and continues to carry us through whatever God is asking us to do. Mary responded quickly, I accept whatever he has for me. May everything you have told me come to pass. May it be to me as you have said. In that passage, she says, I surrender to your will, and I will obey what you are asking me to do. And there's something so simple and so beautiful. There was no argument. There was no pretension. There was no, I'm this person, and you should, you know, help me do this or that. No, I accept whatever he has, which meant her conceiving and bearing, but also watching her son die brutally on the cross. That journey as a mother, that choice went on and on, and she continued to serve her father. She continued to walk in obedience. Everything that is supernatural about Jesus is dependent upon his supernatural entry into the world. It's a quote from Alex McFarland. Travis is going to come and he's going to give you some details about why Mary's choice seemed so impossible and so crazy. So I get to have fun this morning and this is what I love to do. I love to kind of give background and put things in context. And Mary made an impossible decision in that moment when she said, yes. So Mary would have been around 13 or 14 years old. And she was a virgin. Now, that word, in context, has an obvious meaning. But aside from the obvious meaning, virgin in that day also meant a woman of marriageable age. And in that day was 13 years old. Very different from our culture. And so, Mary was a virgin, she was probably about 13 years old, she was a woman, 
And in that culture, it's hard for us to really understand this, but in that culture, all of those characteristics combined would have made her unusable to be used by God. Because women in that culture were to be seen and not heard. They had no legal rights. They were owned by their husbands. And a responsibility as great as carrying the Messiah who had been prophesied for thousands of years couldn't possibly come through someone like this. Mary's obedience could have led her to rejection, a life of begging, prostitution, or even death. In that moment when Mary said, yes, may it be as you have said, she knew that her willingness to accept this assignment could lead to her death because of the response from her husband, from her family, and from society. And we'll get into that just a little bit more in a moment. Mary made an impossible decision, and she said, I'm all in. She had no plan B. And we're gonna see when we look at Joseph how the ramifications of what saying yes could have meant to her, not only to her, but to her husband, Joseph. So Joseph also had a choice. And we're not going to read a prophetic word about him, but we know that he was from the line of David, Mary and him both, and that he was part of the plan because he solidified, he, um, that's not the word I want, he... Um, he brought validity, there we go, it came out. He brought validity to Mary. He brought a covering to Mary. He brought a, a protection to Mary. He was a huge part that we don't hear a lot about, but he was a huge part of this story. And I love Joseph that he had a choice too. And he had a choice to partner with the impossible or to turn his back on her and just close it all down. So let's look at Matthew 1, 20 through 25. There is peace in obedience. Verse 20. While he was still debating with himself about what to do, he fell asleep and had a supernatural dream. An angel from the Lord appeared to him in clear light and said, Joseph, descendant of David, don't hesitate to take Mary into your home as your wife because the power of the Holy Spirit has conceived a child in her womb. She will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Savior, for he is destined to give his life to save his people from their sins. This happened so that the Lord's, what the Lord spoke through his prophet would come true. Here's another prophetic word weaved into the story. Listen. A virgin will be pregnant. She will give birth to a son. He will be known as Emmanuel, which means in Hebrew, God became one of us. When Joseph awoke from his dream, he did all that the angel of the Lord instructed him to do. He took Mary to be his wife, but they refrained from having sex until she gave birth to her son, whom they named Jesus. She was a virgin. That was important. That was the fulfillment of the prophecy. He honored every word. And what Joseph did was everything he was told. He awoke from the dream, and he did all that the angel of the Lord instructed him to do. 
How powerful of a choice he had to step in and and be probably the one of the characters that's the least important but the most important to be a covering for her. Trav's going to give you some details on that. So what did yes, saying yes, mean for Joseph? I'm not sure how many of you are up to date on the... um, the structure of a formal Jewish wedding, Um, but I want to tell you about a Jewish wedding and what all was involved. So there are three steps. The first step in a Jewish wedding is the two families would have had to agree to the union of the man and the woman. Then, following that, a public announcement was made, and they were engaged, So following the two families agreeing, there would have been a public announcement with witnesses to the engagement. Now, what did an engagement mean? A little bit different than an engagement here in America. An engagement gave legal rights over the girl to the groom. Um, An engagement usually lasted about one year in Jewish culture. An engagement could have only been broken through death or divorce. So they were engaged, and then finally they would have been married and lived together. Um, Hebrew culture makes no distinction between a husband and a fiance. Um, An engagement period was a vital part of the marriage process. So they're really, when you were engaged, pretty much, it was a done deal. A legal document was signed. You were bound together. I found it very interesting, though, in studying this, that it gave the consequences that if a woman would be unfaithful throughout the engagement, there were severe consequences, possible stoning to death, but it never said anything about if a man was unfaithful. I didn't find that anywhere. That proves what the woman was in that culture. She was a possession. She, wasn't, she didn't have any voice. And if you do even further study about women in Jewish culture during that time, Jesus came through a woman to prove a point. He came through a woman to bring redemption to her as well. It's super powerful when you study about womanhood through biblical eyes and you learn what Jesus did, not only in redeeming every human being, but setting the woman in a place of um, authority and a place of rightness. And when God created Adam and Eve, he created them as equals in the garden, right? And when the fall happened, it just disrupted that and the enemy destroyed it and he went after her. So then Jesus, through her, went after him. Amen? Love when Gabriel comes to Mary and he says, Greetings, the Lord is with you. You are highly favored. And for her in that moment, being a 13 or 14-year-old girl, being a woman in that culture, she's probably like, talking to me? Like, no way. You can't be talking to me. So... (laughs) Mary is pregnant. Joseph gets word through Mary or through someone else that Joseph, your fiance, is pregnant. Now, in Joseph's mind, 
this could only mean one thing, right? Some, you know, your fiance comes to you and says, honey, I'm pregnant, but I swear I have not cheated on you. How many guys are going to believe that story? And Joseph, probably the same way. Joseph starts freaking out. But because the word of God said Joseph was a man of integrity, Joseph seemingly had two options in that moment. He could either have a public or a private divorce. And we know that Joseph planned to divorce her quietly because he was a man of integrity. But yet it took a supernatural encounter. Joseph had a dream. An angel appeared to him and said, basically Mary's telling the truth. You can take her as your wife, and you are to give him the name Jesus. And Joseph was obedient. Mary's apparent unfaithfulness gave Joseph the right to divorce her, and the authorities could have had her stoned to death. Isn't it incredible how culture is so different and it's so hard sometimes for us just reading scripture to really understand the implications of the decisions people made. It, it would be bad enough to, to take the risk of going to your fiance and saying, I'm pregnant. But in that day, literally, Mary was taking her life in her, she had no idea how Joseph was going to respond. And Joseph knew the response of his family, the response from society, because he knew the moment he said, okay, we're rolling with this, he knew that his family and society would completely cast him out because he was now marrying an adulteress. And that was a big no-no in that culture. This is huge. Through facing public disgrace and rejection, I love it, the, the word said, Joseph did all the angel instructed him to do. Just like Mary went all in, Joseph went all in. He didn't go you know, halfway in the middle. He did everything. He was completely obedient to what God had called him to do. Our limitations, looking at Mary and Joseph, they had severe limitations when compared to the size of the responsibility they were given. But our limitations, your limitations, my limitations become a launching pad for what God has called us to do when we put our trust in him, when we simply obey what he is saying, and then the peace that comes when we are obedient. Mary's choice, Joseph's choice. These were life-altering decisions. But in the face of even certain death, they said, yes, I'll do this. Mary's choice, Joseph's choice. Let's look at the wise men, the magi. So go ahead, uh, turn to Matthew chapter 2. I want to start right in verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, magi, from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we've come to worship him. Okay, pause. You don't have to go there. This is on the screens. This fulfilled the prophecy in Numbers 
that said, Numbers 24, 17, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star will come out of Jacob. A scepter will rise out of Israel. You know what I love? Troy, can you go back to the, uh, the Matthew right here? We observed his star. Not the star of Bethlehem, not a star, but they are correlating this star in the sky to the birth of the Messiah. They knew what it was. They knew exactly what they were doing. So moving on, verse three, when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all of Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the, peop- the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this was written uh, the prophet, in the prophets, but you, Bethlehem, the land of Judea, are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. This prophecy was spoken of in Micah, chapter five, but you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from, are from of old. So the wise men arrive in Jerusalem. They saw the star in the sky, and they knew what it meant. They knew the sign. How did they know? Remember, we're talking about 400 plus years of complete silence of God. No prophet, no pastor, no teacher, no word of God. Other prophecies date back seven, eight, nine hundred years, thousands of years before. How did the Magi know? They were obedient to these prophecies. Well, Magi were spiritual advisors to, the, to King Darius of Persia. Now, check this out. This is wild. Don't, don't lose me. And possibly they were from the Mesopotamian region of Seleucia, where the prophet Daniel was given the title chief of the Magi. Daniel and the lion's den, the prophet Daniel. He was given the title chief of the Magi. Daniel, Leslie referenced it last week, In the book of Daniel is the prophecy about the exact timing the Messiah would be born, to date. And so these uh, wise men, they, they came from that same region where Daniel was the chief of the Magi. It's possible these Magi were descendants of those taught directly from Daniel, And because of his prophecy, may have been able to decipher the date of his birth along with the interpretation of the star rising. How cool is that? Some of you are like, I don't know what you're talking about, and that's okay. I'll boil it down. These wise men, these magi, their distant relatives could have been taught directly by Daniel himself. The prophecies, the timing, the signs. And so they knew it was passed down from one generation to the next to the next. So when they saw the star appear in the sky and they put two and two together, the timing, the star, it's happening now. We gotta go. We have to go to Jerusalem. Now when the wise men, when they arrive in Jerusalem, 
it's not just three men riding on camels. Okay, our modern nativity scenes have really thrown us off. Um, this was probably a caravan of over 100 people coming into Jerusalem. These were astrologers. They were priests, highly um, uh, wealthy priests of the king. When they came into town, it did not go unnoticed. People knew they were there. It was a big deal. And they're coming into Jerusalem, probably over a hundred of them. That's why the word of God says not only was King Herod disturbed, but all of Jerusalem with him. Because when they came in and they said, where is the king that had been prophesied? Everyone's like, what is going on? What is happening? Now I'm reading this and I thought to myself, why did they go to Jerusalem? Why did they go to Jerusalem? We have to remember, this is probably a few years after Jesus had been born. Jesus is probably a toddler now. And I'm thinking, why did they go to Jerusalem? Why did they go to the king? If they knew he was going to be born in Bethlehem, why didn't they go to Bethlehem? And all of a sudden, it kind of hit me. These wise men were wise. They were no fool. They understood the prophecies enough to where they would put themselves in a place that say, hey, we followed a star here. You tell that to someone today, they're going to think you've gone nuts, right? But they knew. So they arrive in Jerusalem, and they ask the king, they said, where's the Messiah? Why would they ask him that? Because they understood who Jesus was. And they're thinking in their minds, why isn't he in the palace? Why isn't he here? What are you talking about? Where is he? And King Herod's like, oh, this is bad. So, and we all know what happens, you know, following that, the plan that Herod comes up with and uh, wants Jesus to be killed and so kills all of the, you know, the boys of that age in the land. And, um, but these wise men made a decision based on prophecies that were hundreds and hundreds of years old, to be obedient and to follow the star when they saw it. Turning their backs on human wisdom, these wise men obeyed the prophecies of God and bowed low before the true wisdom, capital W, of God. They were obedient, and I don't think there, there was any doubt in their minds. I think it was complete peace they knew exactly what was happening and exactly where to go because they knew the Messiah, the Savior who had been prophesied, had been born. And they came with one purpose and one purpose only, to bow low before him and worship him for who he was. So powerful. Oh, man. They believed God's word. They took him at his word. Amen. And I think that's even further proof. We just covered three people in this story. But I think that's even further proof that you can trust his word. Those are just three important characters in the Christmas story who believed and took him at his word and walked it out, followed the star, believed that Jesus was the light of the world, the peace, the answer. Jesus' birth signals the end of night in the beginning of the morning. He's here. 
he came. And now it is our choice. It's your choice to take him at his word, to read this and to stand on it. What were his promises? What did he speak when he walked the earth? When he walked with his disciples and he discipled them, he's doing the same for you right now. You are the prophecy fulfilled too. We talked about that last week. I have three things that I want to highlight that we watch these characters, these real people in the Christmas story do in their choices. They knew his word. They knew his word. They knew what the Torah said. They knew what the Bible said about the coming Messiah, and they took him at his word. Know his words and what he says about you. Know them and take him at his word and stand on them, for nothing is impossible with God. Every need, every desire, every part of your created person he designed and he wants to fulfill his promises that were given. The impossible things become possible in us partnering with him in our surrender and our obedience. Mary said, I accept your will, right? I accept. I surrender. It's that I am going to climb this mountain with my hands wide open. I know you're going to carry me. I know you're going to follow through. I know your words are true. I'm going to stand on them, whatever I'm facing, whatever I'm planning, whatever I'm dreaming about. It's not just about the bad things that happen. He wants to open up and break through impossible dreams in your hearts and minds. He wants to see you step into destiny that you can't even imagine he has planned for you, but he does. I can promise you that because that's what it says in his word. Amen? That is who you are. As daughters and sons of the king, you have an inheritance. You have it. It's yours. It's promised. And it is our choice to know his word, to stand on it, to surrender into it, and then to obey whatever he asks. That is our part in the Christmas story. That is our play. That's what we are called to do. There is peace in obedience. I want to read to you a poem that really confirmed this to me this week. And I put it in the notes right away. I think I read it on Thursday morning. And I was crying, and I texted Trav, and I said, you got to hear this. This is crazy. But it fits so well with what the Lord is saying to us. It's by George MacDonald. I said... Let me walk in the field. God said, no, walk in the town. I said, there are no flowers there. He said, no flowers, but a crown. I said, but the sky is black. There is nothing but noise and din. But he wept as he sent me back. There is more, he said. There is sin. I said, but the air is thick and the smog is veiling the sun. He answered, yet souls are sick and your work is yet undone. I said, I miss the light. And friends will miss me, they say. He answered me, choose tonight if I am to miss you or they. 
I pleaded for time to be given. He said, it's hard to decide. It will not seem hard in heaven to have followed the steps of your guide. I cast one look at the field, then set my face to the town. He said, my child, do you yield? Will you leave the flowers for a crown? Then into his hand went mine, and into my heart came he. And I walk in a light divine, the path I had feared to see. I think that puts it absolutely beautifully. And I'm going to read that last part again. Will you leave the flowers for the crown? Then into his hand went mine, and into my heart he came, and I walk in the light divine, the path I had feared to see. If you look at every story we talked about, when the angels appeared, a great light appeared with them. When they appeared to the shepherds, a great light appeared with them. When the star rose, a great light directed them. When you step into his will, you will not be left in darkness. You will not be left in confusion. That is not who he is. When you make the choice to put your hand in his and say, yes, I will go to the town. Go, I will go where you send me. I will do what you are putting on my heart to do. I will speak to that person in love. I will give to that person when they have need. I will stop hating and I will love the family member that has hurt me so deeply. I will walk with you. I will choose you. Just like the roots in the tree last week was weaved in and through the entire story that Jesus is the root and we are the branch and he is, and it's weaved beautifully in. The light is weaved beautifully in the prophetic and in each story. And he is the light. If you read Isaiah 60, it says, rise up in splendor and be radiant for your light has dawned and Yahweh's glory now streams from you. Look carefully. Darkness blankets the earth and thick gloom covers the nations, but Yahweh arises upon you and the brightness of his glory appears over you. Nations will be attracted to your radiant light and kings to your sunrise glory for you, of your new day. Lift up your eyes higher. Look all around you and believe. For your sons are returning from far away. Your daughters are being tenderly carried home. Watch as they all gather together, eager to come back to you. That is a prophetic word for you to stand on. The light has come. The day is dawning. We are in the dawn of a new season, a new day. Jesus has come. Amen? If you want more, Zechariah, he, he had his mouth closed because he couldn't believe that his wife was going to have a baby. The one that was barren, and, he, and the angel shut his mouth because he didn't want him to mess it up. Sometimes God has to do something to help us out. And he helped Zechariah out because he knew who Zechariah was. And he shut his mouth. But when his mouth opened, Zechariah wrote on a notepad, his name is John. You stop arguing with my wife, this is his name. And his mouth opened. And as soon as his mouth opened, he began to prophesy. You see, the prophecies didn't stop in the Old Testament. The prophecies continue. And he began to prophesy. And part of that is in Luke 178. The splendor light of heaven's glory sunrise is about to break upon us in a holy visitation.
All because the merciful heart of God is very tender. The word from heaven will come to us with dazzling light to shine upon those who live in darkness near death's shadow. And he will illuminate the path that leads the way to peace. That is who my God is. He will illuminate the path to lead the way to peace. He is the light of the world. He pierces the darkness. If that's not enough, Isaiah 9, and it's titled the section, A Son is Born. Those who walk in darkness, verse 2, have seen a radiant light shining upon them. They once lived in shadows of death, but now a glorious light has dawned. He's here. He's here. And if you go down to verse 6, the wonderful one, a child has been born for us. A son has been given to us. That's us. The responsibility of complete dominion will rest on his shoulders and his name will be the wonderful one, the extraordinary strategist, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. The prince of peace, great and vast is his dominion. He will bring immeasurable peace and prosperity he will rule on David's throne and over David's kingdom to establish and uphold it by promoting justice and righteousness from this time forward and forevermore. The marvelous passion that the Lord Yahweh, commander of angels' armies, has for his people will ensure that it is finished. It is finished. Go through and read that again when you have time. And the last one I have for you this morning as we light our candle. And our candle today in the Advent calendar, in the Advent wreath, is peace. Last week it was hope, and we're going to light hope. But today we're going to light the candle that is peace. Peace that passes understanding. Hope is the prophetic speaking into our lives and saying there is hope. There is more. God has more. And peace settles in when we walk in the more. When we walk in obedience. light of the world you walked out of the darkness Revelation twenty two sixteen. I Jesus have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches I am the root <laughs> I'm the offspring of David and the bright and morning star I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. Would you stand with me? I pray that his word pierces you to the core. I pray that his word brings so much light into your season, so much glory. He is divine light. He is the light of the world. And with him comes eternal peace that passes every understanding. When you choose, when you choose to be a part of his story, he's going to give you everything you need. And I believe that as I read the Isaiah passage, the part that said daughters and sons are coming home, right now I want to speak that in Jesus' name. If you have a son or a daughter who does not know him, can you raise your hand? In, I know there's, I know there, raise it high. 
Right now, in Jesus' name, we call them home. We call them home. We pray right now, Jesus, that you would appear to them in a marvelous way. This Christmas season, they would see your light. They would know your glory. They would identify that this is who you are and that you love them with an eternal love. And we stand on this word. We stand on this promise. We stand on this power that you're, you have prophesied their homecoming in Jesus' name. And we agree with the what looks like impossible is not even close to impossible for you. And we agree with your promises in Jesus' name right now. Right now. We agree with your promises right now. If you have a sickness or an ailment in your body, raise your hand. High as you can. It's okay. What is his promise? What did Isaiah say? By his stripes you are healed. When he went to the cross, he laid that promise out, fulfilled it, every part of it. So in Jesus' name, I speak healing in your body. I speak wholeness in your body from the top of your head to the soles of your feet. We agree with heaven right now, and we bind sickness, and we bind anything that would come against your kingdom in their bodies, and we pray wholeness right now. In Jesus' name, we thank you. We praise you right now. Thank him for your healing. It's done. Thank him. We thank you, Jesus. You are good, and we trust in you, and we believe that you keep your word. Amen, amen.